Let's continue on from this morning. We've seen the Apostle Paul. We saw his past and present as we surveyed that. We saw his successes counted not by his victories as the world would do it, but by his death to self. We looked at Paul's salvation testimony in Acts chapter 9. Now we move into an area where we might say there are four rounds that Paul gets into the boxing ring and he tells us these things. He doesn't want to, but he is compelled to by the lack of sympathy from the Corinthian church. Who's Paul? Well, he's only the fellow that told us how to become a Christian, introduced us to the Lord Jesus. I think they should have had great respect for, as it were, their father in the faith. And they didn't. And so he had to defend himself and say, have you been through this? Is this what you've suffered for the Lord Jesus? I have, he could say. So Paul in this section is rebuking the pride of the Corinthians. As we see in the verses prior to our reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment, yea, I judge not mine own self. And then down in verse 6 and through to 8, but these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that I might that ye might learn in us not to think of of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? Now ye are full, now ye are rich, ye have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God that ye did reign, and that we might also reign with you. And so he's digging at their pride here and saying, listen, Listen to us. Who? What is man? You know, that, that psalm, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? This section, or these sections that we're going to look at, these rounds in the ring, <clears throat> completely eradicate the modern thought of the prosperity gospel. Totally blow it out of the water. It's not true. This man was the, an apostle. This man could do miracles. This man did things that no, not many men did, but some of the other apostles, to save the Lord Jesus, of course. But he suffered all these things. He didn't have a big building and a mega church. He didn't have people running after him. He had necessities that weren't being met. Because he said, you met my necessities once and again, he said to the Philippians. And so it eradicates the prosperity gospel theory. Uh, This section exemplifies the truth that they that live godly shall suffer persecution. So let's look at the first section, chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, verses 9 to 15. Paul's exhibition before all. I've called it, in verse 9, I think that God has set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. I put down here, he was hung out to dry, as it were. He was a spectacle, as were the other apostles, 
who suffered some terrible things that were mentioned in a moment for their preaching the truth of the Lord. I believe the Lord Jesus warned them of this in chapter 21 of John when he was speaking to Peter because he said to Peter, you're going to die the death of crucifixion. And then Peter said, well, what about him? Important to John. And he said, well, that's none of your business, Peter. This is what I'm talking to you. (laughs) And so we have the... Paul's exhibition before all, hung out to dry, crucified. As all the apostles, he he set forth us, the apostles, last. Think of it for a moment. And this is from tradition, so there is differences of opinion. Think of the apostles. Andrew, crucified on a cross laying on its side. In Achaia. James, slain with the sword. We have that's a biblical record in Acts chapter 12 in Jerusalem. John lived to a, a very ripe old age. He was banished to the Isle of Patmos. He got the book of Revelation as a revelation, <clears throat> but he did end up back at Ephesus, it said. Before that, that banished him. They tried to boil him in oil. And when he popped out of the oil pot alive, they were amazed. Philip, either crucified or stoned in Africa. Bartholomew, they say he was flayed or skinned alive in Ethiopia. Thomas, he was speared to death in Syria. You see, these people were set as an example, as Paul said, a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. Matthew, they say he was stabbed and stoned in Persia. James, the son of Elpheus, he was clubbed and stoned, stoned and then clubbed to death in Syria. Jude was axed to death in Persia. Simon the Zealot, crucified, and they say sawn asunder in Persia. Judas Iscariot, well, he was the crook. He, he <laughs> hung himself, Matthew chapter 27, verse 5. Matthias, that was chosen early in the book of Acts, he was stoned and beheaded in Syria. There's some gruesome things happened to these. And Paul beheaded in 67 AD in Rome. This is what this verse means here. A spectacle to the world. A spectacle to people that should follow after. A spectacle to us who can look back and and see the history and read about these things, of these godly men who were murdered without mercy. And so we see the exhibition, as I say, hung out to dry before people. Then we see Paul's exclamation, or exclamations, there are three of them, in verse 10. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. He's having a dig at their pride. He's having a dig at them. You, you think you're wise. We're just fools, us apostles, for doing what we've done and going out like we have. He then said, we are weak, but ye are strong. <laughs> but put the Corinthians to where Paul and the other apostles were, see how strong they would then be. 
You know, it's not in easy times that we see the strength of a person and the character. It's in the hard times. It's whether they throw in the towel or give up, say, I quit. And then, and he, he's, he's saying this to the Corinthians, you know, you think you're pretty good, but you're not. They had to read between the lines, as it were. Ye are strong. Ye are honourable. We are despised. You're honourable people there at Corinth. And so his exclamation to the Corinthians, he's trying to get the point across. <clears throat> the Christian life is not about being puffed up, being proud, being how important I am. And it's not all about me. <laughs> this generation we have, and I think they're going to learn some hard lessons through what we're going through, it's not all about me. It's about the Lord Jesus as Christians. <clears throat> and then we see the extremity of his circumstances in verse 11. He says, Even unto this present hour we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. And so <clears throat> I put down he's reviled. He, uh, sorry, he's without food. He's without drink. He's without clothes, exposed to the elements. And it gets very cold over there. <laughs> without protection, without home, without, a, without help. The extremity of his circumstances is seen there in verse 11. And so we see then the exemplification of godliness. In this man's life, in the first part of verse 12, and labouring, working with our own hands. I love that. You know, every Jewish boy had to learn a trade. Every priest had to learn a trade before he could become into the office of the priesthood or into ministry. I think it's a great idea. <laughs> and before they could go into God's work, they learned a trade. And often they didn't get into sort of ministry and spiritual things until they were 30. And the exemplification of godliness is seen in the Apostle Paul's life in that he laboured. He laboured. In fact, he spoke very pointedly to people that didn't work. In Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6, we read there, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that, if, that ye withdraw yourselves... From every brother that worketh disorderly and not after the traditions which ye have received of us. So he's saying, don't fellowship with this guy that calls himself a Christian but's not doing what he should be doing. You say, that's pretty harsh. No, it helps that person realise how wrong they are. For ye yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. What is it that he's coming to? Well, it tells us. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but we wrought with labour and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. It's saying what we found back there, labouring, working to meet his needs. He didn't, there wasn't any social service system that gave you money for nothing back then. They had to labour and work and he worked as a tent maker, we know that. With others, was it Priscilla and Aquila that, that had the same trade as he did? And we, we read on um, <clears throat> in verse 9, not because we not have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow. He could have said, hey, I'm ministering spiritual things. Feed me. Give me. Meet my needs. But he didn't. He had power to do it, but he didn't. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. That would solve the problem, wouldn't it? 
If you didn't eat, you wouldn't live. So you had to go to work to, to get stuff to eat. For we hear there are some who walk among you disorderly. You know, remember that the, the Thessalonians say, oh, the Lord's coming, let's sell up and let's relax. The Lord's coming. <laughs> he promised to come quickly, but that doesn't mean then. It means when he comes, he comes quickly. Um, for we hear that these are there's some among you who are disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. They've got too much time. Idle hands find mischief. And so they become busybodies even within the church. And in society, they get up to no good. They get to thinking things they shouldn't because they're not occupied, working. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. That is, they work for their bread. But ye, brethren, are not in weary and well-doing. Be ye not weary and well-doing. If any man obey not our word, and he started with this and he ends with it, by this epistle note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. You count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother when he is in that situation. And so <clears throat> Paul, yes, was a spectacle back in 1 Corinthians. He see the exhibition before all, his exclamation to the to Corinthians, the extremity of circumstances he faced, the exemplification of godliness in doing that which he should have done. He worked and he paid his way and other people that ministered with him, he helped them on the way to, to provide bread for them. And then in verse, the last part of verse 12 of chapter 4 and verse 13, labouring, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and as the offscouring of all things to this day. His exploitation. He, <coughs> exploitation. He was scorned. He was reviled. Yet he blessed. He was treated spitefully. He was persecuted. He suffered it. He was slandered and defamed. But he entreated he talked lovingly back to them. He was counted as filth and counted as offscouring. He was counted as the scum of the world. But he didn't quit. He didn't pack up and leave. He didn't throw in the towel. And then we see the explanation and exhortation to the Corinthians for this being so, I write not these things to shame you in verse 14, but as my beloved sons I warn you. This could happen to you. Be ready. For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, ye have not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. And so Paul's approach is seen in verse 15 and humbly approaching them. Even though they were doing the wrong thing and saying the wrong thing and thinking the wrong thing, he humbly approached them in verse 14. I don't want to shame you. I warn you. And then Paul's application in verse 15. You've got all these people that are, could be instructors, but you've got one father. <clears throat> I begot you through the gospel. Verse 16, his, Paul's appeal to the Corinthians there. Beseech you, be you followers of me. And so Paul, a spectacle, an example to the world. That's the first round we go through where Paul is using the troubles he had to talk to these people. Then in 2 Corinthians, we go to 2 Corinthians and chapter 1 and verse 7 to 14, we see a dire situation that Paul was in. 
we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, our trouble that came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despised even of life. Moulding a man for the ministry, and in the ministry, Paul was going through trouble. <laughs> Don't be ignorant. It seems that the Corinthians were ignorant, didn't want to know, didn't want to hear, shot me ears when they, he spoke about his troubles that come to him. We were pressed out of measure above strength in so much that we despaired even of life. A dire situation. You know, oft times we, you know, you ask someone how they are. Oh, I've got a headache. Oh, i got a, you know, nothing. We've even got Panadol to go with it. He didn't have those things. Look at he. These were for real, not something light. These were not self-inflicted wounds. Often you hear, you hear people complaining about the things that are self-inflicted, the troubles that they've got because of what they did wrong. And they moan and groan about this and the aches and the pains of that. Hey, I, have a, I had a nephew, I had a nephew, that had four sisters. One day, they had, it might have been Easter, they had a lot of chocolates. And uh, he knocked off the sisters' chocolates. He went up into a wardrobe in his parents' bedroom and gorged himself with chocolate. You know, death by chocolate. <laughs> they had to take him to hospital he got so crook. Hey, he can't complain. Self-inflicted. But so many people, so many Christians complain about what their aches and pains are when they haven't got anything in comparison, often self-inflicted things. You do the wrong thing, you know, you reap what you sow. <clears throat> but in verse 9, or the last part of verse 8 and 9, out of measure above strength in so much we despaired of life, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves, <laughs> that we should not trust in ourselves but in God who raiseth the dead. He had the death sentence, as it were, in himself. Death to self, death to sin, death to Satan, death to these things in this, in this world. He had a death sentence. He had a divine solace as well that's given in verse 10 and 11. Who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver us in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. He'd been through things before, the Lord delivered him. He was in things now, he knew the Lord would meet his need. And in the future, he knew more things were going to come that weren't going to be nice. But out of them all, the Lord will deliver us. I often looked at this verse and said, you know, in the past, we got saved. In the present, we are being saved. In the future, we will be saved. Well, in the, no, in the context, it's talking about the troubles that Paul had. Paul had the sentence of death upon himself. A dire situation, a death sentence that he said thereof upon himself. The divine solace. We can take solace in the fact that the Lord Jesus has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We can take solace in the fact that Paul said in Romans chapter 8 and about 35, verse 35 to the end of the chapter, <clears throat> there what shall separate us from the love of God? And he goes through a whole host of things that will, will not and cannot separate us. <clears throat> God protects the saints pray, verse 11. Many thanks may be given by many on our behalf. <coughs> Let us pray for those in 
dire situations that have the death sentence, as it were, upon themselves. The decisive statements are given in verses 12 to 14. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly toward you. For we write no other things unto you than that ye have read or acknowledged, and I trust ye shall acknowledge even to the end, as also ye have acknowledged us in part. Paul was looking for their acknowledgement, the acknowledgement that he was going through troublesome times. He was their spiritual father. <clears throat> he did have scars to show for his life as a Christian, showing in simplicity and godly sincerity his life in his letters to these people. <clears throat> Paul, in simplicity, ministered to them. He didn't use highfalutin words. His speech is contemptible, they said. But he did that so that they could understand. The Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory, the eternal Son of God, when he spoke to people, he spoke in terms they understood. He didn't go and waffle on with words that people couldn't comprehend. He used the language they understood. The Bible was written in, in Greek of the common language of the people of the day. Not in the highfalutin words that could have been and the, the language it could he. It was written for us that we might understand the word of God. And even when Paul had the sentence of death in himself, he used simplicity and sincerity to do the ministry of the Lord, even as the Lord Jesus did in, in his parables and his teaching the people. <clears throat> we go to a third round that Paul had and went through in mold, the Lord molding him through suffering. And this is found in 2 Corinthians and chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and we <clears throat> will finish with this one this evening. Verses 1 to 10. <clears throat> and we won't read it, we'll go through it as we have been each portion. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. We have received the grace of God through salvation. God's riches at Christ's expense spells grace. <clears throat> We've been given life eternal. Have we received that, yet we're doing nothing for the Lord? He has been so loving and benevolent toward us, yet what have we done to be showing our thankfulness back to him? And this is what Paul is saying. Have you received the grace of God in vain? Or do you just serve yourself? And Paul is going to launch into a heap of things that show that he was paying a price. He valued the grace of God. So Paul writes about the hardships he has endured and warns the Corinthians not to marry or team up with unbelievers as he goes from verse 11 even down to chapter 7 and verse 1 there. Stay separate from the world. Don't team up with them. He was imprisoned often, as we read in, um, sorry, <laughs> in verse 1 and 2, we see his plea. I went to the wrong point there. Both Paul and Isaiah implored us not to receive God's grace in vain. <clears throat> I've written down an example for people that 
had. I spoke about ourselves, but what about the Galatians? Paul had to write to the Galatians who were being persuaded by Judaizers to go back and live under the law. He dealt with it in the book of Colossians 2. <clears throat> These are the things you have to do that add to your salvation. No, there is nothing that can add to your salvation. Have you received the grace of God in vain? Paul said to the Galatians, have I bestowed upon you labor in vain? Are you listening to what God has done? Verse 2, for he saith, I have heard thee in a time, and this is Isaiah, a quotation, in a time accepted, in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today is the day to labor. Tomorrow it may be too late. Today is the day to believe. Tomorrow it may be too late. And so <clears throat> we see Paul's plea here in this section. And then his priority in verse 3. Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Paul feels that it's an all-important thing not to put a stumbling block in another person's way, another Christian's way, a young Christian's way. Don't call them, cause them to stumble. Don't say things that are going to be offensive to them. <clears throat> a new Christian will have baggage. The Lord will teach them to get rid of that baggage. The Word of God and the Spirit of God will teach them. You know, I've heard of Christians that get all over a new Christian about this habit and that habit and drop that, drop that. You, saw, you call yourself a Christian doing that? Hey, leave God to do the work. He does a much better job at that. And Paul's priority there is very important. And he dealt with this in Romans chapter 14, actually, verses 13 to 21, <clears throat> about not being offensive to the younger, less mature Christian. And we see his pain here that he explains. Now, in the following verses, from verses 5 down to verse 10, you have some words that are introducing these things. The first word is in, in, in. Then he says by, by, by. And then he says as, as, as. And you'll, you'll pick that up. You can mark them and it stands out easily. But let's first of all see the ins. <laughs> his pain. He reviews his suffering here. This is molding the man for the ministry. This is making something of him. This is getting to know God through the sufferings of life. He has been beaten and imprisoned. In verse 4, all these things approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, in affliction, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labours, in watchings <clears throat> and in fastings. And so we see in that group there of things that he had been in the battle with he has been beaten and imprisoned. Beaten and imprisoned. And can you remember an occasion when he was beaten and imprisoned? Was it with Silas? There by the Philippian jailer? Beaten and imprisoned and thrown in jail. No ointment applied. And the blood sticking to the things he was leaning on with the chains. What did they do? Oh, woe is me. No, they were singing at midnight. And the Lord answered their prayer and they could break out, but they didn't. And through that, the Philippian jailer got saved. In, <clears throat> he's been beaten and imprisoned. He has faced angry mobs in the last part of verse, verse 5. 
tumults. <laughs> tumult. And often a tumult was caused by him turning up in a town in a synagogue and preaching the truth of the gospel, and there was a riot. Wherever Paul seemed to go, there was a riot because some people were vehemently set against him. Others were, hey, this man's right. I understand what he's saying. <clears throat> he faced angry mobs. Remember the time that we read this morning about him being in Jerusalem? There, and they would have torn him apart. That's what the Bible says. And the soldiers come and grabbed him and took him up the stairway, up a wall somewhere, and he said, oh, stop, stop. Let me talk to these people. And he started talking to them in their own tongue, the Hebrew tongue. And they listened until he got to a certain point. Then they wanted to attack him again. And the soldiers rescued him. He was, <clears throat> he was worked to exhaustion, as it reads in those verses, in labours, in watchings and fastings. And so in, in labours, he, he worked all night to make some tents that he might have a bit of money to move on and to minister to their physical needs. Work to exhaustion. Have you, have you ever known that? You know, we've got an eight-hour working day. We've got a 40-hour week or 38, I think it is now. <clears throat> what about back in those days? Day, sun up to sun down and afterwards as well. He has endured sleepless nights and hunger in verse 5, in watchings and fastings. I believe that some of the fastings, probably many of the fastings Paul was in was not... Not because he didn't want to eat, it's because he didn't have anything to eat. And watchings is where waking at night, thinking about all the things that had happened, thinking about all the people, thinking about his persecutors, <clears throat> thinking about his prior acquaintances who were after him and praying for them and praying for the churches. The burden of all the churches come upon him that he'd started in different towns. And so his pain is revealed in the word in there. And then the word by in verses 6 and 7. We see his patience by pureness, by knowledge. And you could look at, look at the meaning of all of these words that he's explaining here. By long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned. All these buys, and then the next verse, by honour and dishonour, by evil report and good report, deceivers, by, sorry, as, it goes into the next one in the middle of verse 8. <clears throat> by honour and dishonour, his patience, he has endured all these things through God's love and power, through God's strength, through God's grace that was given to him to endure these things. He supernaturally survived. He couldn't do this on his own. It was certainly of the Lord. And then we see his paradoxes that he mentions here. <clears throat> and a paradox is an apparent but not real contradiction. In verse 8 we read, My honour and dishonour. Well, back up in the middle of verse 8. A good report as deceivers yet true. As no unknown yet well known, as dying, and behold we live. As chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. These paradoxes. First of all, Paul is honest, yet he's been called a liar. And if you in the Christian walk or in the ministry, you'll know. What that means, been called a liar. But he was honest. What have I done? 
people will do this. Those who are vehemently opposed to the gospel that don't like what you say and what you preach. You can be honest, but you'll be called a liar. They'll try to ensnare and entrap you. In verse 9, he is known yet unknown. Known yet unknown. <laughs> hey, he wasn't known by the people around town, but he was known by the most important person to be known by, the Lord Jesus, by God himself. He knew what Paul was up to. He often visited Paul. In fact, there's five occasions when Paul had a visit from the Lord Jesus in his ministry. Five times he came to him. And I remember once he, he encouraged him because God knew that he would be discouraged with all the things. As a human, he was only human. These things were weighing upon him. He is known, yet he is unknown. It's best to be known by the Lord. He has the keys of death and hell. They might be able to kill the body, but they can't kill his soul. He is known by God, yet unknown by man. He could have been a popular person. He could have been a very VIP down in Jerusalem if he'd stayed with the Sanhedrin. He, he would have been the leader of that group when he grew older. He would have taken the place of Gamaliel to teach the law. He could have had PhDs and all the other doctor, doctorates to his name, but he was unknown. Wandering the world like a vagabond to preach the gospel to in unknown regions beyond. He is dying, yet he lives in verse 9, the last part of verse 9. That's a sort of a paradox, isn't it? He's dying, but he lives. You see, most people are the other way around. They're living, yet they're dying and they don't know it. Paul was dying to self and dying to the things he would like to do, dying, dying to owning a home or anything like that, no place to dwell in. Dying to having food on the table and three square meals a day. But yet he was living. He was living for the Lord Jesus. He was living for the purpose of eternity. He was living to do God's will and not just his own. That's living. That's what God calls living. A, div a, a, a paradox that's given here. He's dying yet he lives. He lives with a real purpose. What are you dying to and living to? What are we living and dying to? He is sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. You can imagine the sorrow that he had on his heart for all those people. Yet yeah, I have continual sorrow. He, he spoke in Romans about this, in Romans 9 and Romans 10, the introductory verses to those. He, he said, I wish I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He's sorrowful for them. He could wish that he went to hell that they might go to heaven. That's what he's saying in that verse. And God said, no, not possible. But he was sorrowful for those people that rejected the message. And that's why he kept going back to the synagogue in every town. He knew what the outcome was, persecution and a riot. But he went there anyway. This is the moulding of a man for a miraculous, godly ministry. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. There was the times that... He could rejoice. He had unburdened his heart to these people. He had given them the truth up to them to respond correctly. And the last two for tonight. <clears throat> verse 10, the second part of verse 10 and the third part of verse 10. He is, he is poor, yet he makes many rich. Christian, 
This is our job. We are to be reconcilers of those that need reconciliation, and that's every unsaved person. He is poor, yet making many rich. I like the story, the true story in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 8, where Peter and John were going up to the temple to pray just after Pentecost. And there was a lame man, a lame man who couldn't, he asked for arms, he asked for some help. And you know what Peter's response was? Silver and gold have I none. That's the cry of a preacher (laughs) in those early days even there. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I to thee, rise up and walk. Hey, isn't that making a person rich? This person had faith, this person was able to walk, this person didn't have his needs met for a day, he had them met for eternity. Folks, we might be poor, we might not have nothing, and and the rich might not even want to talk to us. But we have something they haven't got, and they can be made rich. We are made rich through Christ. At his expense, we are made rich. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. We are made rich through Christ. You know, this is not a social gospel. This is not a prosperity gospel. The last three points that we've spoken of this evening... They didn't become prosperous and live in wealthy houses and have jets, Lear jets to fly around the world and do what they wanted to do and have all the nice food. They were poverty-stricken, poor yet rich in giving the truth of the gospel. We have something in our hands, in our hearts, the truth of God's word that we can share that is true riches, eternal riches, lay up treasures in heaven with Thief and rust does not break through and steal. Riches, eternal. And he has nothing, this is the last phrase in verse 10, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Has nothing, but he possesses all things. What about you? Do you realize as a Christian you've got nothing? but you possess all things through the Lord Jesus Christ. If the Lord Jesus is our Saviour and God is our Father, what does he own? What does he have? It's all his. Everything. We are even his. 1 Corinthians 6.19 Paul has nothing, but he possesses everything. This is his because he's a a son of God and the inheritance is wonderful and it's eternal. In the book of Ephesians, and let me close with this wonderful thought, these who labor in the gospel and who are made the men that they are through the sufferings they go through are molded for the ministry. One day will be rewarded. As the apostles, the disciples asked the Lord Jesus, what, can, what are we going to get for following you? <laughs> they asked that question. And, you know, the Lord said tenfold if you go back into the Gospels and read that occasion. But here in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6 we read, <clears throat> And hath raised us, Christians, up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're already as good as there. We're as good as being in heaven. 
that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourself, is a gift of, it is a gift of God. That in the ages to come he might show. That means that we will be learning for eternity about the wonderful things that he provides for them that love him. He has nothing, but he possesses all things. You know, the unsaved person can be a multimillionaire, billionaire, trillionaire. He has nothing. He has nothing compared to the riches in Christ Jesus. If you're listening tonight and you're not a Christian, you've got nothing. You might have a lot down here, and a lot of people lost a lot in the last few weeks, but you have nothing if you don't have the Lord Jesus. Won't you come and be saved by grace through faith? You can't do it your own way. Trust the Lord Jesus and receive him. Wonderful truths. No prosperity gospel here. This is suffering servants of the Lord. Thank you. God bless.